find ourselves in a little bit of trouble when we base God's goodness on other people's behavior because it's other people that fail us. God never fails us, and he is always good all the time, no matter what our circumstances are. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in 2 Timothy. Um, It'll be our last week in this series, and it's been awesome to just grab all this stuff and digest it and apply it to our lives. Um, So I'm glad you're here for that. To, to have this conclusion. This next song that we're singing is um, sometimes we associate it with communion time or Easter time because it talks about Christ's death. And, you know, as Christians, we can apply that all the time. It's not just in March or April when Easter is. But it talks about being surrender, being broken. And, you know, it's at those times that God grows us And God works in our lives. And when we're surrendered to him, that's when we allow him to change us and to move us. And so as we sing this song, just let yourself use it as your prayer, as a preparation, as a prime for listening to God's word this morning. As we open ourselves up and we allow God to change us and we allow him to speak to us and reveal things to us that maybe we're not getting throughout the week. Lord, we come here today, Father, humble. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. And we ask, Jesus, that you would teach us this morning. Open our eyes. Lord, we want to be more like you, and we want to live that life that you have planned for us. And so we know, Lord, that we are falling short of your plan for our lives And so, God, we expect that you would teach us. We expect you to move in our lives this morning. We expect you to give us those ideas, those thoughts, those things, those areas that we need to to work on. And we need to be different for you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for giving us breath. And we worship you with our lives and with our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, I'm Dennis. It's great to see you today. Um, I don't know about you, this weather, this nice weather since February has me all messed up. We're, in, we're into May, believe it or not, talking to somebody on the way in about needing to start planting the, planting the garden. I was like, you know, I was planning on starting a month ago because it was so beautiful. And now here it's time and I'm going, oh man, I got to get that done. I don't know if that's where you are today between proms and garage sales and all kinds of junk going on. It's just, it's been kind of a crazy, frantic, busy time for a lot of people. So I hope this morning you get to walk in, breathe a little bit, hear what God has to say, and just relax and enjoy the friendship that we have with each other. If you're here all the time, you know the drill. If you're not here all the time, let me fill you in. You received a folder on the way in, and on the inside there's a card, and it says Southfield Church on it. And there's a place for you to put your name. Go ahead and do that right now. And you can even put a way to contact you, whether email or phone number or whatever smoke signal or Morse code you like to use. Go ahead and put that on there. Uh, If this is your first time, fill out as much of the card as you're comfortable filling out. You'll need that at the end of our time together today. We're going to be asking for you to to make a response to to what we've talked about today. And so it would be helpful if you go ahead and do that right now. We've been uh, going through the book of 2 Timothy. And today we wrap up our study. You remember the title by now, I hope. It's called Timely Tips for Timid People 
in troublesome times. And we certainly, just like every generation of Christians before us and every Christian around the world, has gone through some degree, some type of a troublesome time. Something that requires some courage, some boldness, the willingness to stand up for what we believe and not just cower or hide. And Paul is talking to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, it's vitally important that you don't let timidity and fear overtake you but that you have a spirit of, of power and love and self-discipline, the spirit that God has given us. Now, by now, if you've been with us for the whole series, I, I hope that you're starting to see the progression that takes place in the four chapters of the book. He began by telling Timothy in chapter 1 that he needed to stir up his calling. For every one of us, we have a calling on our lives. Most broadly, our calling is to be a Christ follower, to do what he says, follow his commands, and help other people to understand how to follow them as well and to come into a relationship with him. So he says, stir up that calling, fan it into flame. From there, he says, it's not enough to simply be called. I want you to stand up for something. Stand up for the truth. And when we looked at the second chapter, we saw him talk about this analogy of a soldier. And a soldier went on guard duty, doesn't sit in a lounge chair, They stand up. They're ready for the battle. We need to stand up for things and we need to stand against things. We need to stand for the truth of the word of God. We need to stand against distractions, anything that would distract us from the mission, from our calling. Last week, chapter three, we saw that not only do we need to stand up, but then we need to stay up. I don't know about you, but it's it's easy to make pronouncements of truth, declarations I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this. This year is going to be different. We make those pronouncements of truth. It's one thing to stand up, and yet it's another thing to stay up over the long haul. When times get tough, are are you willing to to stay on your feet, to keep doing what God has called you to do? And, And in that time together, we talked about the term convictions. It's one thing to believe the truth. It's another thing to take that truth and make it something convictional. Something we say, I live this way and I would die for this truth. We're convicted about it. And God calls us to be people of great conviction. So what do you do when you have these convictions? Well, obviously they impact how you live, but it brings us over to chapter 4 where Paul says to Timothy, you need to speak up. Convictions aren't just privately held beliefs. They're not just things that we hold quietly, but we need to speak up. There are times that we need to declare our convictions. We need to declare the truth of what God says in his word. So I'd like to go ahead right now and look at the first eight verses of this final chapter of the book. As we look at it, let me just set the stage again and remind you that that these these are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. He's done so much writing and so much teaching through his life. These are the last ones that we have. This is the final chapter, the final verses. So you you get a sense of Paul knows his his death is impending. Uh, Some people believe it was within that year. I read others who said it might have even been weeks or days away from when he wrote these words. So have that in your mind as you hear what he has to say to Timothy. He says, I solemnly urge you. And say, I recommend, or here's a nice thought. He says, I solemnly urge you. 
in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. I solemnly urge you to preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Verse 3, for a time is coming. When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and faithfully carry out the ministry. God has given you. And now Paul gives his his final testimonial on his life. He says this, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race. And I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Let's talk to God. Our Father, I'm I'm just, I'm grateful for these words. I'm grateful for this instruction that Paul gave to Timothy. Because God, we truly live in a time that we, we... We struggle with how to take a stand. We struggle with that. We know what is right. We know we need to live it, but we also need to say something about it. And we live in a world that is adverse to the truth. And the reality is, it's never been any different. Uh, People have always been adverse to the truth. And so I pray that as we look at these words today, you will help us to understand how to take a stand in a way that really honors you. Because that's what we want to do, God. We want to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're not going to cover the rest of the chapter. Um, we actually covered the end of the chapter in the, in the first teaching of, of this series. So if you want to know what goes on in the rest of the chapter and, and you weren't here for that, go back to the podcast for the first teach and, and you'll get the rest of what's going on here. We're just going to look at these these eight verses today. I want you to think about something. Would you think of a time in your life that you you know, you know, you should have spoken up and you didn't? Get it in your mind. You should have said something, but instead you said nothing. In fact, I didn't, as I said that, for some of you, it popped into your mind immediately because for you, it's a point of regret in your life. I mean, when you think about the moment, you think, man, I should, I should have said something. Now I want to flip it. Can you think of a time that you spoke up and you thought, that's the way it's supposed to be done? And it's not that you were proud, but but you're saying, Wow, God in his power helped me to do the right thing. And you're looking at that and you're saying, that's the best version of me. That's, that's me living out the calling that God has placed on my life. Can you get that picture in your mind? I'm going to go toward that one today. For me, that 
took place in a courtroom. I've only been on jury duty once. Federal, federal building, Dirksen Federal Building. It was a federal case. Bummer it wasn't one of the former governors of Illinois. I'd have loved to have been in on that one. Who knows? Maybe we'll get another turn. You never know. But anyway, <clears throat> that's, I'm sure we will, <laughs> the way things go around here. Oh, my goodness. That was not planned, but sorry. I have to speak up. I'm forced to. No. Um, I'm on jury duty. And the trial was of a, you know, early 20-something who was involved in a robbery. They, they robbed a, a, a gun store, and then there was arson involved. And because of the gun store piece of it, it moved to a federal level. And so we sat for a few days listening to all the evidence. And I'm listening to this, and I'm just going, guilty as sin. Holy cow, this guy, he going away for a long, long time. I, I just, it was, it was so obvious. It was just clear. So we got to that jury room, we, we select the four person, and, and, and she begins around on the other side of the table, and she says, okay, I don't remember the person's name, what do you think? And the person said, not guilty. And I went, wow, <laughs> one really dumb person in the room. And the next person went and said, not guilty. And I went, huh. And the uh, next person said, not guilty. And I'm starting to detect a trend Number four, number five, number six, seven, eight, nine, and ten all said not guilty, and I was number 11. What would you do? Hey, if I say not guilty, we get to go home. Woo! I've been sick of being in this trial. And if I say not guilty, who am I to go against the, the collective wisdom of everybody that's come before me? And so my turn came, and I said, Guilty. And they all looked at me like I was the crazy man from the other side of the moon. And then the person after me went and said guilty too. And now we have the fun over the next few days of convincing ten other people that they need to change their mind. And out of four out of five counts, the guy was ultimately found guilty. And, and I'm, I just I look back at that time and I'm thinking, it was, I, I mean this, it was frightening to say guilty. It was scary. I didn't know these people. And I didn't know what they'd think of me. And I didn't know what they'd do. I didn't know. I, I'm just like, God, do, what do I do? Do I just go along? Or do I say what I really believe to be true? I'm sure you've had a moment like that in your life. A moment that you spoke up. And you look back in hindsight and you say, it wasn't easy. But it was the right thing to do. Well, that's what... Paul is saying to Timothy in chapter 4, he's saying, speaking the truth isn't always easy. I don't know where we get these myths and delusions in our minds that somehow, because we're a Christian, because we're a Christ follower, everything's going to be easy now. I would say quite, quite the opposite. Because we're a Christian and a Christ follower, everything gets a little bit tougher. So we come to these eight verses, and, and the thing that was cool is I really started to dig into them. It's almost as if Paul wrote this thing in outline form and then came back and fluffed the pillow. I mean, if you're looking for the ability, uh, a place to practice outlining, go to these eight verses and break them apart. It, it's really incredible. Here's what we see here. He begins with a charge, a charge, a command, a command with some weight. And the charge involves four elements. He says, I solemnly urge you. I mean, he, he lays out, this is huge. This is really huge. I solemnly urge you. It's, it's like he's using words in a court of law. Put your hand on the Bible. Raise your hand. This is a solemn, solemn moment. <clears throat> it says, I solemnly urge you to preach the word of God. 
Now, I'll admit to you, the word preaching has fallen on hard times in the modern era. Even pastors are afraid to use the word preach. When we say someone preached at us, it's not usually something that we think of with delight. We think that someone stood there telling us the way it is and what's going to happen. Preaching, by its very nature, is declarative. It's not a dialogue. I'm not sitting here today saying, okay, what do you think? You know, please share. Let's get the opinions going. It's not a pooling of opinions. It's a declaration. Further, um, it's authoritative. It's not collaborative. We don't we don't come together with a bunch of ideas and then talk them out. There's an authoritative side to it. There's a weight to it. You know, you think about our era. In our era, everyone's an expert. And so because everyone's an expert, for someone to get up and declare something, everybody else says, who's he? You know what? He's nothing. The, the, the authority of preaching doesn't come from who Dennis Papp is, from his degrees, from his morality, or anything else. The authority to preach comes from two things. The Word of God, which is the truth, and God himself. That's where the authority to declare what God says comes from. And God calls on us from time to time to declare the truth. That, that's, that's our role. You may not be a preacher, but God is calling on you to declare the truth. Not because you're special, but because you know what God has to say and you know he'd want it conveyed to other people. He goes on to say, be prepared and then Patiently challenge people. Again, looking at the verses, you see them there. I solemnly urge you, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. What is he saying there? He says, you know what? Sometimes people are going to want to listen, and sometimes they're going to plug their ears. And you don't go quiet because people don't want to hear the message, and you don't just preach when people do want to hear the message. It won't always be favorable conditions. Sometimes it's going to be inconvenient. Sometimes it's going to be unwelcomed. There will be times that people want to hear, and there will be times in the the New Testament in particular where people will pick up rocks and want to stone you. And yet you declare the truth because it's the truth, and the truth needs to be declared. He goes on to say, patiently correct them. I love the way that's said. Don't scream at them, yell at them. Don't get your neck bulging and all. Patiently, patiently challenge them. How do you do that? Well, he says that you need to correct them, rebuke them, and encourage them. To correct is to point out truth and error. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. To rebuke is to warn And to encourage isn't to come alongside and say, come on, you can do it. It's more the other side of encourage, to urge. Urge someone. This is the way you need to live. Paul begins with this this charge. Preach the word, but do it with great patience. Instruction. We need to be people who share the truth. Go on next, and we see not only the charge, but there's a challenge. There's a challenge taking place. He says people will no longer listen. They will follow their own desires. They will satisfy itchy ears. And they will reject the truth. He says here's what you're going to face, Timothy, and every person who declares the truth of God. Some people won't want to hear because it doesn't match what they think. I mean, we live in that era, don't we? Where people don't seek out someone who will challenge them. They seek out someone who will reinforce what they believe. And the truth is that's human nature, isn't it? 
I don't go around looking for opposing opinions. I go around looking for other people who say, yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's go. We, we have a tendency to find the choir and then preach to it. You know, we, 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 we stick with our people and make sure that we don't let outside thoughts come in. Paul says, here's the problem. Here's the challenge you're going to face. People cannot bear the truth. They can't bear the truth. And in fact, they're going to come to a point that they'll actually seek out people who will reinforce a message who is, which is false. He says they will reject the truth and chase after myths. I love that part where he says they'll, they'll look for teachers uh, who will scratch their itchy ears. I'm thinking, what, you know, what's that all about? I mean, if you own a dog or a cat or a bunny, you know, you know when you do this? I, I go over to Beaker's house every once in a while. They got the cats. And I'll scratch right here, and that cat will, oh, that's the best thing on her. Oh, oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you, Mr. Papp. I know, I know you're, oh, you're so special. And just, yeah, you keep going. And you, I mean, you got him in a trance. That's what these people are looking for. Someone will go, oh, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Oh, thank you so much. Now I can keep doing what I want. I knew somebody out there would tell me that I was doing the right thing, even though the Bible says it's dead wrong. That's the challenge that we face. And let's face it, not just in declaring it, but in ourselves. We look for ear scratchers too, don't we? We look for the person who will say, you're doing the right thing, even though you're doing the wrong thing. There's the challenge. So then he says, there's going to be a gut check here. He said, you know, here's the problem. You need to declare the truth, but people don't want to hear the truth. And in in light of that, you need to keep, keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering. Work at sharing the good news and fully carry out your God given ministry. Keep a clear mind in every situation. It's the equivalent to the word sober. He says, Be clear-minded. Control yourself. He says, Timothy, don't be tempted to become an ear-scratcher. Don't be tempted to become the guy or the woman who goes around just making other people happy. And i got to tell you, this, when you do this to a cat or a dog and you see that, even if you don't like cats or dogs, you go, oh, it's so nice to do that. We want to be the people who make someone else happy. We don't want to be the people who say, man, the Bible says that's wrong. That never feels good. In fact, I would dare say, if it feels good to you, there's something wacky going on in your motivation. Because we should be able to declare the truth with tears. We should be able to declare the truth in such a way that says, I love you too much, and God loves you too much to let you continue to go down the path you're going down. Our motivation is supposed to be humility and love, not some sort of desire to just whack him in the head. Which brings us then to the choice. Paul had made a choice with his life, and he encourages us to make a choice as well. He says, my turn is done. My race is won. I've been faithful. My reward is waiting, and yours can be too. Paul had made a choice in his life. There on that Damascus road, he said, God, I am yours. And he started following Jesus and he never turned back. And you read what it says in the Bible. It read to beatings and shipwrecks and rejection by friends and hatred from enemies. 
I mean, he had paid a dear price. This isn't the guy who's talking in theory and saying, now some of you may suffer. My life's been pretty good. Made a lot of money, live in a nice house. Things are going great. But some of you may suffer. He had taken a beating for God and a beating for the cause of Christ. There's a real gut check that goes on. And the gut check is this. Are you willing to pay the price to speak the truth? You better be willing to pay the price because there will be a price. There will be a price. He says, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Now, again, you, when you look at this, you've got to think of who he's writing to, not us. Because you're kind of thinking, man, if I poured out the offering today, that would be a bad thing. I try to hold the basket straight and make sure it doesn't fall. You know, he's talking about an Old Testament offering. He's talking about a sacrifice. Two types of sacrifice in the Old Testament. One, an animal that would be burned. And another, wine that would be poured out before God. And he gives us this image of his life literally being poured out before God. He says, the time of my death is near. The word death, they're being quite literal there. Figuratively, it says, the time of my departure is near. And it refers to taking the rope off of a ship and letting it set out to sea. He says, my time has come. My death is near. And here's what he says about his life. I fought a good fight. And he's talking about, not talking about boxing there. He's saying, I competed well. I finished the race. And here's the line that matters so much. And I've remained faithful. In every step, I've remained faithful. It, it, it gives us a reminiscence of going back to Acts chapter 20, 24, when he's leaving the church of Ephesus and he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. They know he's on his way to die. And he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave me, the task of testifying to the good news of his grace. He says, my life is now over, and now a prize waits for me. He uses the Greek word Stephanos. It's a Greek word that literally refers to the laurel wreath that would have been put on the head of a runner. He says, a prize is awaiting for me. And this prize will be given to me by the Lord, the righteous judge. And it's not just for me, but everyone who looks forward to the appearing of Jesus will receive this same prize now, the thing that's cool is as you look at these eight verses, it's almost as if he's put a parenthesis at the beginning and then at the end of these eight, eight verses. He ends by talking in these ultimate terms that the Lord, the righteous judge, will be the one to reward him in the end. And if you go back to the beginning, you remember what the charge was all about? Someday he will judge the living and the dead. I mean, he is talking in the loftiest of terms. Let's face it again. Paul knows he's in the final moments of his human existence. He's not going to talk about petty things. He's not going to talk about things that don't matter. He's going to talk about things that are eternal. The things that matter most. Because he realizes that in no time at all, he will be looking Jesus face to face, eye to eye. And he knows we all one day will too. We have a charge. Declare the truth. Don't sit on it. Declare the truth. Challenge. People don't want to hear it. They'd rather, they'd rather you reinforce their bad beliefs and bad behavior. Gut check. Are you willing to pay the price to declare the truth? And ultimately, you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to be a person 
who declares it, who speaks it, or are you going to be a person who stays silent? Which way are you going to go? I want to ask you a really practical question. What holds us back from speaking up? What is it that holds us back from declaring the truth? I mean, if we believe this is the Word of God, if we believe He has something to say to us, to our generation, to our culture, if we believe this is the Word of God, what holds us back from just saying, here's the truth? Let me make some suggestions. Uh, A lot of us start with this one. I just don't know what to say. How how do I speak the truth? I don't even know what the truth is. Maybe you're saying, I haven't known the Bible for, for very long. I'm still getting to know it. I'm not sure exactly what to say. Uh, years ago, I was involved in a church where there was a person, and one of his favorite lines, he was well into his 50s, one of his favorite lines was to say, I don't know what the Bible says, but. And be like, man, you grew up in the church. When are you going to figure out what the Bible says? When in the world are you going to finally open the thing up? You've sat through so many sermons, you, you should have a master's degree by now. How can you not know what the Bible says? I mean, we're not here for the pretty songs, though they are beautiful, and Dana does a great job. We're not here just to be able to collect money so that we can do this all again next week. We're here to learn what God has to say so that we can go live it. So when are we going to finally just grab it and learn what the Bible has to say? Uh, There's only so long that ignorance can be an excuse, and at some point it's just an excuse. We need to learn what the Bible has to say. And, and you can find out directly. What does it say about an issue? How should I be speaking? What should I be saying? Remember, you go back to 2 Timothy 2. What did he say? Work hard to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. It is hard work to learn what the Bible has to say. Get to work. Get to work. How about this one? I don't feel qualified to say it. I mean, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't have a degree. Why in the world should I be the one to declare the truth? And you may even take it further to say, what if I mess up? What if I say the wrong thing? Uh, I I don't feel qualified to say. I kind of wonder this. Do you really think that just because I have a rev in front of my name, people listen to me? Do you think that just because I can tell them I have a degree from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, that they go, oh, share your wisdom. We're, we're ready. We're open. Please, pearls, let them drop. <laughs> well, who are you? Who are you? The qualification comes from our calling. The calling in chapter 1. We're Christ followers called to live out the Word of God and to share it with other people. That's your qualification. Your qualification is if you're a Christ follower, you don't keep it to yourself. You let it be known. I might ruffle a feather or two. Yep, you will. I don't know what to tell you because people don't like to hear the truth. But I'll tell you what, you better make sure you're telling the truth. Don't get caught in the mess of sharing something you heard on TV and before you know it, you find out, whoops, that was not true at all. If you're going to share the truth, you better make sure it's the truth. Don't just blither your ignorance with bliss. You know, declare the truth and know that, yeah, a feather or two will be ruffled. You might lose a friend or two. It might happen. Uh, You may also gain a friend or two. In fact, the Bible says that ultimately when we share the truth, we have the possibility of winning a brother or sister. And remember, this isn't all just about here and now. 
Timothy, Paul talked about the beginning and the end about the Lord, the righteous judge. So you're happy now. There's an eternity to face. What kind of friend am I if I say, I I didn't want to ruffle any feathers? You've got to share the truth. How about this one? The timing isn't right. I will admit to you sometimes the timing is not right for telling the truth. I think I've shared this story before, but my, my cousin decided that my grandmother's verb, uh, funeral was the moment to tell my other cousin that my grandmother was in hell. Uh, hmm. Yeah, okay, whatever. Sometimes the timing isn't right. I, what I'd encourage you to do, I, I'm glad that you're sensitive to that, but you have to ask yourself this question, how often do I say the timing isn't right? It may just be that you're starting to hide behind the skirt of timing. That this isn't about timing, but timidity. It's about fear. And you're using timing as an excuse to not just say uh, the time is right. Let me take it a step further. I'm going to say this again in a couple moments so that it's really out there. I don't know that Facebook is ever the right timing. So let's just leave it at that. Um, I don't want to be branded. I didn't say labeled. Branded. A label can be peeled off or washed off. A brand is burned in the skin. And you can't remove it. And when you start declaring the truth, you will be branded. You know some of the brands of our times? You're judgmental. I thought Christ followers weren't supposed to be judgmental. Doesn't the Bible say do not judge? You're judgmental. You're intolerant. And after all, the prime value of our times is tolerance, right? Or how about anything that ends with the word phobic? You get the phobic label? Burned in? Oh, you're one of those. You're just a hater. I'm telling you what, if you're going to declare the truth, you're going to be labeled. And what did Paul, Timothy, Paul say to Timothy over and over again? Are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Are you willing to suffer? Or are you more worried about the fact that maybe somebody might brand you? I know they won't listen. Yeah, but they might. Do we have the right to withhold the truth because we think they might not listen? I do speak up, but it makes a mess whenever I do. You know, the truth is, some of us are great at declaring the truth. But it just seems like every time we do, we either end up with a foot in our mouth or a foot in the side of our head from someone else. And and, and we're just not sure that we're doing this right. And so because we're afraid we're going to mess up, we opt for silence. Can I say silence is a message too? When we stay silent, you know what people assume when you're silent? You agree with them. You condone what they're saying. You're going along with it. When we're silent, silence is a message too. Don't think that because you're silent, you're not speaking. Uh, Let me just say a word on this idea of messing up. Because we're afraid of offense. There's a difference between causing offense and being offensive. The Bible says we're not to be offensive. But the Bible says the truth will cause offense. Uh, This is a verse that's interesting. I just encourage you to spend some time there this week and fight with Jesus over a little bit. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 51. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the world. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the world? No, I've come to divide people against each other. Now there's a mission statement for Jesus. 
No, I've come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, two against me. Two in favor of me, three against me. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He says there's going to be some division. Our message, our message is divisive. It divides. I mean, think about it for a moment. It's black and white. The Bible says there's one way to heaven. It doesn't say this is one of multiple roads. That's going to cause some division. It's about right and wrong. Not some moral suggestions. Here are ten nice ideas from Exodus. Try them out. I mean, it's about right or wrong. And you've got to make a choice. And it's about a battle over authority. Is God going to be in charge of my life or am I going to be in charge of my life? Our message is divisive. And it will cause people to be, feel offended But at the same time, we should not be offensive. And I could show you numerous verses in the Bible that say, deliver the truth with gentleness and respect. Deliver the truth in a caring way. Paul's already said it a number of times in 2 Timothy. He he says, warn, and and he goes on to say, hey, when someone's in in disagreement with you, be patient with them. Peter says it, that we're to be ready to give a a reason for the hope that's in within us, but to do it in a gentle and respectful way. So let me say it again. In all I'm saying this morning, I'm not encouraging you today to go home and pick fights on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is the worst place. The worst place in the world to have this kind of an interaction. It goes nowhere. I've tried it once or twice. I've given it up for Lent. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. If you're going to declare the truth, gentleness and respect means we're going to have a conversation. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to disagree with me face to face. And I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't involve name calling and berating and all that sort of stuff. Because why I'm declaring the truth is not because I think you're an evil scumbag. I'm declaring the truth because I love you too much to see you go down a path that breaks the heart of God. I love you too much to see you walk away from what God wants for you. It's motivated by love and humility, not by arrogance that's just screaming at everybody. Let's go back to the list and get out your card. And the question is simple. What holds you back? from speaking the truth. Maybe it's one of these. Maybe you thought, Dennis, you didn't hit mine, but I know the sermon has to land at some point, so that's cool. Write it down. Write it down today. And in writing it down, here's what you say. I'm working on this. I'm working on this. Because I know that speaking the truth isn't just reserved for the people up front who preach. Speaking the truth is for anyone who knows the truth And is required then to declare the truth to other people. What's holding you back? I gave you the story of a a good moment in my life. I'm not going to share a bad one today, okay? But I'm going to tell you there have been plenty. There have been plenty of times in my life that I should have spoken up. Do you know what it's like to stand up here and have to declare the truth of the Word of God and know the people you're speaking to? It'd be a lot easier to do this to an anonymous crowd. And I know that sometimes when I talk, when I'm declaring the truth, there's someone sitting in the room who's going through exactly what's being talked about in that passage. And I'm going to admit it to you. I wince a little inside. I wince a little inside and I go, how are they going to take this? What are they going to think? 
Is this going to go over okay? And Paul's saying, whether the times are favorable or the times are not, you've got to declare the truth. So declare it with boldness and gentleness and respect and humility. Let's pray. Father, we're truth bearers. We know the answer to the world's problems. It's all sitting in a leather-bound book. And we're afraid to say it. We're timid. We don't want to be branded. We don't want someone to feel hurt because of something that we've shared. I pray that you will help us to discover the beautiful balance of speaking the truth and doing it in a loving way. Because here's the truth. It's not loving to keep the truth to myself. There's no love in silence. There's no love in preserving my own relation, my own reputation. That's just loving me. That's not caring about someone else enough to see the course of their life changed. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll participate in communion now. Servers are coming forward right now. And you'll receive two cups together, bread and juice. And as you do, think about that thing you wrote on the card. Make a commitment to God today. God, this thing, I don't want it to stand anymore between me and you. I want to be a person who declares the truth with boldness. God, as this song um, has literally challenged my mind to be led back to the cross, I thought of myself standing there and looking around and realizing that only one of the 12 people that followed you is standing there. Everyone else walked away. One of them even betrayed you. Three years they were with you. Every day, every night. They saw your miracles. They heard your teaching. They knew your compassion and kindness. I'm sure all of them called you friend. But in that moment, they didn't stand up. They stopped staying up, and boy, they sure didn't speak up. And it's easy to look at them and say they should have done better. And the truth is, God, that we can place ourselves in that exact same place. That too often, we knew what we should have said. We understood the truth. We should have shared it with with gentleness and respect and humility. But instead, we stood silent. I pray through the power of your Spirit and the knowledge of what your Word has to say that we'll get better at speaking up. Not obnoxious. That's not what it's all about. Not being rude. But lovingly sharing the truth. Because we want to take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. 
And while they're here, we want them to live in a way that brings you happiness because that's going to make them happy too. So help us to love people enough to tell them the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Our servers are going to come right now and and receive the offering. Make sure you go ahead and put not only your offering in there, but also the card you filled out with that that line of what what holds you back from sharing the truth. Uh, As you leave today, take some time to look at that folder. Some important dates on there for the summer that you'll want to get on your calendar. Make sure you save the dates of camps that are coming up for our high schoolers and junior hires and outdoor service, other events that are on there. It's really important. Uh, Next Sunday is Mother's Day. And on on that day, we're going to be sharing with you uh, the details of our serve at the end of the month. Uh, over late, on Memorial Day weekend, we're going to be gathering over at the warehouse to do yet another one of our serves. This one going along with the Memorial Day theme. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about forgotten people, people who would easily be overlooked. And we're going to be doing a project for them to help them to know uh, that they've not been forgotten by us and they've certainly not been forgotten by God. Uh, yesterday, I believe, was the last of our journey groups. The, the boot camp had their, their last session together. I'll tell you what, that, that was an amazing group from this standpoint. We got to see, literally see, the progress people made. Uh, Bob and Stephanie did with us, a, they did a fitness test at the beginning of our time together and at the end of our time together. I'm not going to name names because they'd be humiliated, but if you know what a wall sit is, basically, you know, you, you, you go ahead and sit down against a wall, you're like this. We had one person hold a wall sit for five and a half minutes. Now you're going, I could do that. All right. To the wall at the end of the service. I want to see you. Because I had news for you. For most of us, the first time we did that, we were fortunate to hold it for 35 seconds. And to see that kind of progress was incredible. I had someone comment, it would be great in all of our groups if there was a way of measuring fitness like that. What were you like at the beginning of a group and at the end of a group? I, sometimes spiritual growth is, is harder to measure. That's for sure. But I promise you this. If you decide to get in on the journey, if you decide to join a group or be involved in Sunday or just listen to what God has to say and do it, you're going to grow. It's inevitable. And I encourage you, keep growing. It's so important. So let's stand. We're going to, we're going to sing our way out of here this morning. Creator God.